The Lord changed my sermon again this week. Happens sometimes when you're studying. Hope that I was listening to him correctly. By the way, you just did what we call in our church popcorn prayer. And it's when a little corner kernel pops, then as soon as it's done, send a little kernel somewhere else pops with a prayer. We do that a lot, just so that everybody can have a chance to to uh, go to their father in prayer. Um, I I feel so strange that we it's just a it's just a weird time. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. And the church is everywhere. God's church is suffering, and I and I, and I feel like I don't even know you yet. We haven't had a chance to have a social or sit down together or or do anything. But some of you probably know a little bit about me. Of course, my name is Joey Allen. I've uh, lived here pretty much my whole life. I was in the construction business for about 25 years. My father was, three of my uncles were, and my grandfather was. Uh, and right now, I am teaching carpentry and construction classes at Chase High School. Been there since, I don't know, five years, six years. I, I've been losing count. And I taught those same classes, though, and I stumbled back. I tried to remember when. I couldn't even find records in my study this week. It was around 2000, 2002, 2004. I taught those classes at Isotherm when Chester Melt was in charge of the program and needed some help. Uh, I just always, I don't know, I've always felt like God called me and equipped me to teach in some way. And I know I don't do a great job all the time, but we're human and we all mess up. But I, I just love to teach. You know, for centuries, teaching was, this is what teaching was for centuries. Somebody who knew something, some type of knowledge or some type of skill, stood in front of other somebodies who didn't have that knowledge or that type of skill. And they explained it to them, they demonstrated it for them, they went over and over it and made them maybe even do homework until those people who didn't have the knowledge that the teacher had gained some of that knowledge. Now, I'm teaching high school now, and I have, uh, I have teenagers come in. I, I, I'm 55 years old, some of y'all are even older than that, but I, I have teenagers come in now that can't drive a nail with a hand. And it's not their fault. It's not their fault, it's just the world we live in. And then they really, really freak out because they think I'm dead. I'm serious. I, I had the blueprints of houses I built, and it's dated before they were born, and they go, how old are you? And I go, I'm 55. And they're like, why are you still teaching? You should be in a rest home somewhere. I mean, that's how teenagers think, about 55. So they, they really freak out when I can drive a nail with a handle better than them, or I can saw something with a handsaw. They can't saw with a handsaw either. But you know how I learned to drive a nail with a handle? Over and over and over. I remember being on a job site when I shouldn't have been, because back then Asha wasn't around. And Dad would set me in the sand pile with my little trucks. But, but one thing that was always fun for a little kid was back then, uh, they didn't have nail guns. This is the 70s, before the advent of nail guns. They would, all the carpenters would put down all the plywood on the floor. Some would be measuring, some would be carrying, and there'd be a guy here that was the cut man, and he cut all the pieces, and they would tack it down at every single floor joist. I remember this distinctly. I'd be in the, I'd be in the sand. But when it all got packed down and the whole floor was done, every man on the crew put a nail apron on, filled it full of eight penny nails, and you just sat out somewhere and started nailing. And at that point, Dad would let me put on a nail apron and sit down on the middle floor. And I wasn't good. But you know, after enough floors, you eventually learn how to drive a nail. Because you do it over and over and over again. Okay? You do it over. Well, 
Today you're going to look at me as we start the scripture and you're going to say, Pastor, you're teaching the same thing you taught us last week. Well, it's very similar. It is. But you know, God inspired Paul to write to this church at Ephesus, and I think it applies to churches today, centuries ago, about the qualities of leaders in church. And we're going to see some of the same qualities in a different section of Scripture. So maybe it's important that God's trying to hammer something into our heads. You ever think about that? Uh, remember Ephesus, big city, lost people everywhere, uh, people who cared only for the flesh, uh, Christian church there. For the most part, we feel like they met in homes. When Paul was there, he rented a hall for a bunch of them to get together, but he, he had left, and Timothy has left, so there's some church houses, and sometimes they probably still got together in that big hall. Uh, they were living in a strange world. Uh, they were living with a lot of temptations from the world around them. But they were called to bring the light of Christ to that dark world. First Timothy, known as one of the pastoral epistles, it's basically a how-to manual, how to do church, how to be a church, how to do your job so that your light goes out into the world, and how to manage church affairs. And we saw in chapter 1 how to deal with people who are teaching false doctrines in the church. Uh, last week we started with what qualities should a church look for in a leader. And last week we were discussing a leader that I told you the Greek could be uh, defined as an elder, uh, pastor, or an overseer. I kind of like overseer, but, but it, it, it's called elder in my translation, but when you look up the Greek, it means pastor or overseers of the church, and there might have been more than one. In fact, there would have been one in each little home that met. Well, today we're going to read some more scripture and its qualities of some other leaders in the church. And my translation, which is the ESV, is going to use the word deacon. Okay, it's going to use the word deacon. Uh, if you look up the word in Greek, it's something like diakonos, and I can't speak Greek. But we translate it deacon. The actual Greek definition of it is a servant leader. Okay? So it sounds like to me that the Bible is teaching there should be some servant leaders other than the elders in the church. So today we're going to look at the qualities of some more of these church leaders, some of these servant leaders. So let's begin. I hope you have your Bible with you. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. This is going to be verse 8. We're going to read a few verses, uh, talk about these uh, qualities of this servant leader that is called a deacon in this book. Don't let the name, it, it means servant leader. You can, you can call that office anything. And then we're going to uh, finish chapter 3 uh, with some final words from Paul. In verse 8 it says deacons likewise. Now remember last week we went through this whole list of categories of overseers. So that's why he begins with the word likewise. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons as they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to read some more in a minute, but let's just, this is a big piece of scripture. Let's, let's break it down really quick. I'm going to start with the first outline point is because... 
I know you're thinking, wait a minute, Joey, you're from a bad church, we're Methodist. That's fine. We're going to talk about what is this deacon. I've already told you a little bit about it. It's a Greek word that this translation translates deacon. And I think it's pronounced diakonos, but get somebody with more degrees than me who studied Greek to tell you exactly how to pronounce that. Um, if you look up the Greek word, if it really is diakonos, I, do know, I can't read Greek, but I know how to look up in a Greek dictionary. I do that quite a lot as I'm studying the scriptures. It tells you that that, that phrase there, that diakonos, is a noun that means... Then the first definition under it, you know how, how a dictionary has different definitions? The first definition said a servant, a waiter, or one who performs services in the church. Now, I'm not going to tell y'all that y'all need to start an office of deacon, but I'm telling you, whatever you call it, the Bible says you are supposed to have some servant leaders in your church other than the elder. Okay? And, and that's, that's a hard thing to swallow because we live in a world that hates that word servant. Okay? I mean, it really does. The world out there says, serve me. The Bible says, be a servant. Now, I'm not going to preach from a different book, but if you're taking notes, write this down. Go read this sometime this week. If you want to understand why we should look for servant leaders, it's in Matthew 20. It's Jesus speaking. Jesus says in verse 25, But Jesus called to them and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. He's speaking to his disciples and his apostles. It shall not be so among you. He's speaking to you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Boy, the world would hate that word, wouldn't it? Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve Son of Man, he's speaking of himself. He's speaking of the prophecies about himself. Even as the Son of Man came to be served, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Read that sometime and study it. It says a true follower of Christ. If you are truly going to follow Christ, you'd better be setting the example that he did. He said, I came to serve to the point of death. So let's talk about servant leaders. Let's talk about servant leaders here in Timothy. I've showed you that it's in other places of the Bible and it's called for by Christ himself. Some people will point you to Acts chapter 6. I was going to read that, but... But I'll give that to you for homework. Uh, some people like to say that's the beginning of the deacon ministry. The Iconos is not really used in that piece of scripture. It's where the very, very early church, now we're about 62 AD. Uh, Acts 6 happened right after his resurrection. Or, uh, and right after the church was meeting together in Jerusalem, they had to choose some people to help with some matters of the church. In fact, they chose some men to help serve the widows some meals. Does that sound like a waiter? Does that sound like a servant leader? That's why people point to there even though the diaconos is not used. They appointed some, some very special men who they consider are honorable to serve food while the apostles, which would later become the elders and the pastors, while they studied, prayed, and got ready to teach the word. It's a pretty good example of a servant leader even though they don't use diaconos. So that's kind of what deacon is. So what are these qualities? All right, what are these qualities? Let me go back to my page. 
Dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, hold the mystery of the faith in clear conscience, tested first, prove themselves blameless, husband of one in life, managing their children and their households well. That sound familiar? It is some of the same things that you would look for in a good elder. And remember, I gave you some applications last week. I said, you, you should be praying about is God calling you to be an elder or a minister? And I said, this is a pretty good instruction book of, the, of how you should pattern your life and the attitudes you could have. And, and I also reminded you last week that, that God and leaders are going to have trouble leading people who are really not God's children. So maybe you need to look in the mirror with that list and see, does that really start to describe you? But now I'm telling you, there's almost the exact same list that says there needs to be some other leadership positions in God's church other than that elder. And it's kind of the same list. It begins with the word dignified in my ESV. If you have a King James translation, it says grave, and that's a little strange, but that's, that's a phrase from 1670. It's a phrase from 1670 that meant a man of dignity. Okay? What it is, it's kind of a cover word for what this man or woman, man, would be like uh, that would measure up to most of these qualities. You remember last week we talked about overseer? It had a bug reproach to start with, and I said that would be the whole overall attitude of those. So that's kind of what this man of dignity means. It means that in his life and in his attitude, it shows a reflection of a man who tries to live a life like Christ. A man whose life and attitudes about life make him worthy of respect. And then it begins into this list. It says he is not double-tongued. Well, if you look up the Greek there, double-tongued means not one who spreads lies, not one who gossips, or not one who uses deceitful words. Pretty good qualities. You're supposed to be different than the world around you. Then it says not addicted to too much wine. We talked about this last week. Remember last week when we talked about elders? I said if, if your life is supposed to be patterned after and you're supposed to see a life with, of self-control, how can you be self-controlled under the influence? If you're going to be teaching correct doctrine, even though the diaconos doesn't teach, but the elders did, how, how are you going to teach and understand correct doctrine if you're under the effects of alcohol? If you're going to be known of in the community and in the church as an honorable and respectable person, does that describe a person under the influence of alcohol? If you're going to be a person that people can depend on your word, they're going to say, that guy says what he means, he doesn't lie, he doesn't gossip, does that sound like a person who's under the influence of alcohol? I think you know the answer to those questions, right? See, alcohol, it's a snare. We talked about last week, a snare is a trap. We really ought to be avoiding it. There's, a, there's some other qualifications here of deacons. They sound just like the qualifications of elders. It's just phrased a little different. It says, not greedy for dishonest gain. Remember last week it said the overseer would not be a lover of money. And I told you, that didn't mean your overseer had to be poor, blood, homeless, and starving. And that doesn't mean your servant leader has to be poor, broke, homeless, and starving. But it means, what does he put first in his life? And you, you say, well, I don't really know, but, but you can tell. You, you can't look in his checkbook, but you can look at his life. He's got to look at his checkbook. Checkbook tells a whole lot about who you put first in your life. It really does. 
Is it your money and your possessions first or is it the Lord? And when it talks about not greedy, that's the not a lover of money. It also adds not, not one of dishonest gain. Think about dishonest gain as a dishonest way of getting money for yourself. Not earning it. And remember, these servant leaders, they might, even though it doesn't say that here, but it implies that they might have something to do with keeping up with the church business and finances. Do you want a person that's, that's, that's out for dishonest gain? Is that the description of a person you would think is qualified as a servant leader? In verse 9 it says, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. My words. That means, do they know and understand the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What happened in chapter 1? We were fussing about the false teachings. Jesus plus something. You've got to have leaders that understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand it is only the job gospel of Jesus Christ. And it kind of confused me as I studied my ESV use this, must hold the mysteries of the faith. And I thought, mystery? Yeah. So I got to looking at the Greek language and, and I got to looking at that phrase and what people said it meant. It said, you realize that, that the God, I was taught this in seminary, I never really realized it, but, but the gospel of Jesus is everywhere in this book, even in the Old Testament. You, you can see foreshadowing that the Messiah is coming, but really, the gospel of Christ was never revealed there. It just showed you he was coming. So this mystery is the gospel was revealed in the New Testament. That's why it says hold the mystery of the faith. It means that you fully understand that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come. That he has died for sins and that he has been re resurrected and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. That's, that's the mystery that you have to understand and have to be able to explain. And it talks about this man will have a clear conscience. The Greek there means he lives a life that demonstrates obedience to God. He understands that correct doctrine and he tries to live it out in his life. Unlike people who don't know Christ. You know why we call them lost? Because they are. They don't have a doctrine to live out in their lives. They don't know Christ. They are not a new creation. They are a flesh-covered, sinful human. It says these leaders must be tested first and then let them serve if they prove themselves blameless. Tested? I'm a teacher. Does that mean we're giving them a written test? Does it mean a hundred question multiple choice on the correct doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, it means you better understand that doctrine. I'm not sure we're going to give you a written test. Or does it mean you take that correct doctrine and you put it to practice in your life? Yeah, I think it means both of them. I think it means both of them. I think it means not a new and immature Christian, but somebody who has, who has already served the Lord, who is growing and maturing. And it says blameless. Greek word there means above reproach. Remember, above reproach was in the list of overseers. Not perfect, flesh-covered human, but one who tries to live and set an example out in the world of a Christian life. One that both brothers and sisters within the congregation and people that are lost in the lost world would look at and say, hey, you know, that's a pretty good guy. Where the boss would say, you know, that guy gives me an honest day's work. 
Even though I told you last week the world out there would say, but you know, he's a little weird. He's a little weird. You can't fit in. You can't fit in. Here in Ephesus, they would have said, boy, you know, I like working with him. He's a hard worker and he's really good to me and, and we get along well, but I don't understand it. He goes home to his wife back at work instead of hanging out down at the temple with Diana with us. There must be something wrong with him. It's because he's a changed person. And you will look a little weird. And if you don't look a little weird, you better ask yourself, are you a changed person? Look at verse 12. It says, let them be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. We did this last week. In the beginning, I'll give you this over and over. I should have looked it up. I should have read it to you in Genesis. Find it. That's some more homework. I like homework. Find it. The original nuclear family was a husband, a wife, and children. The nuclear family. We've messed it up for centuries. Old Testament patriarchs messed it up by having more than one wife. It meant a devoted husband, a devoted father to the wife they were married to. It didn't meant you had 20 wives. It didn't meant you were abusive to your children or your wife. It didn't mean you were short-tempered. It didn't mean you were an absent father who had nothing to do with their lives. It meant what God wanted in the beginning. Doesn't that describe a person who has been made new? These qualities of a deacon, these qualities of a servant. I have a deacon in the church that I'm associate pastor at. I won't call his name, but I'm sure he wouldn't mind. But uh, some people will look at him and say, boy, he, he can't be a deacon. He's on a second marriage and he used to be an alcoholic. And he'll tell you his testimony. He's in his 70s now. He was a Marine, a real man. He left the Marines. He got a really good union job in an assembly plant up north. And he was a horrible alcoholic. He'll tell you that. He'll explain to you the dangers of alcohol. And he was horrible to his wife and his children. But you know what? He wasn't a Christian either. And after he lost his wife and his children and his family and almost lost his job and, and he'd been to AA several times, he'll tell you that, and he wasn't wanting to listen to it, one day he met Christ. And now he's in his 70s and he's married to a wife that he's been married to and devoted to for years and he will not have anything to do without alcohol and he is a changed person who now serves as a servant leader in the church and he really will do anything you ask him. We went out last summer to build a, a, a wheelchair ramp for a relative of somebody in our church. And I had one of my young teenagers from my class. And by about noon, he was exhausted because he didn't understand pace. He was like, and the 70-year-old deacon was still digging post holes. Because he, he understands work. And he understands what it means to be a man. And he would tell you, he would say, I'm a different person. And notice, he would also like to point this out, and I always tell him he's wrong. He'd like to point out that nowhere in this list, list of qualifications of deacons does it say the ability to teach. Left that one out. But I tell you what, in Acts, if that really was the first deacon, Stephen was a pretty good teacher because they stoned him for what he was teaching. And this deacon who will do anything you ask of him doesn't want to stand up in the pulpit. He says, I'm not a teacher. I can't expound, I can't expound on the word. But I tell you what, I've seen him witness to people in person who are lost in alcohol and I can't make him understand he is a teacher he teaches by his life okay 
the qualities of these servant leaders. Did I skip something? Can you all pay attention? Any of you pay attention? I skipped some verses, didn't I? Skip verse 11. It says, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. These are qualities found in a woman who is a Christ-centered servant. Is she a wife of a deacon? Or is she a woman servant leader in the church? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. When, when you're a teacher and you don't know the true answer, you need to say, I, I don't know. I, I was taught by a man I admire and respect who was the first preacher who ever shepherded me and made me study and taught me things and he's convinced that is the wife of the deacon. And then I was taught by another man in seminary who is just as great and reliable as him and he says there is a Greek word for wife and in fact it's used in a later verse but it's not used right there. He says that, that, that word is woman. So I don't know if it's telling you the wife of a deacon or a woman servant leader. I know there are women who are leaders in the church whether they have a title or not. And I know there are women who are called to do things. Uh, I love to teach. I, I can't teach a little kid. My wife is called to do that. Now she's not called to speak scripture. But she teaches little kids a whole lot better than I ever could. Somebody needs to teach little kids scripture. So I, I, don't, I, I can't tell you the true answer to that, if you could have women deacons. But I can tell you whether it's, it's women servant leaders or whether it's the wife of a man servant leader. I can tell you this, the Bible says those women are supposed to be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, and faithful in all things. And that sounds like the very same list, in a nutshell, that we've already described for a deacon. So it sounds like it ought to be the goal of any female believer. And any female believer ought to be wanting to be a servant of Christ in some way for her church or for her family. So that's the qualities you would find in a servant leader. And I told you before, I'm trying to teach, I don't know why I am, I'm I guess because I'm just weird. I've been teaching you that, you know, chapter and verse numbers were not in the original Greek scriptures. In fact, they didn't even have punctuation. So this little 14, 15, 16, we put it in three. It's kind of a bridge between three and four. It almost sounds like Paul's finishing the letter and then he decided to write some more. So I called this last thing we're going to look at final thoughts from Paul and our application. I hope to see you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then he has what we believe is an ancient creed or an ancient song, not his creation, but one that was sung or recited in that early church. I, I'm going to read it to you from even a different translation called the TEV, which is... English in its most simple form. It's used by missionaries to people who don't speak very good English. This is, this is the last of that verse, that creed, or that song. He, we're talking about Jesus, He appears in human form. He was shown to be right by the Spirit, that He was seen by angels. He was preached among the nations. He was believed through the world. And He was taken up into heaven. Paul said, Church, I hope to get back and visit with you soon. I hope to teach you some more, but I don't know when or if ever I will. 
That's what he said right there. He said, but you know how you were supposed to be living your lives. You know how you were supposed to be behaving in the world and in Ephesus in your church. And you know your mission. People, he is still talking to us today. Without strong churches, even if the churches are meeting in homes, without correct doctrine, it talks about without all that here, how is truth going to be held up to the lost world? I, I love the phrases he used because I'm a builder. He says, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Now what a pillar is, you might call it a column or a post. Buttress. I wanted to say look up some pictures of the Cathedral of Notre Dame, but it burned. But that's how it was supported on the outside with these trusses that came outside. They're building words. They mean something that holds or supports something. Okay? Building terms about holding up things, but he's not talking about the building. He's not talking about this building we're in. He's talking about his children and his family holding up truth in the world. Because we're the only people who have the truth. He's talking about the conduct of the members of his church. He's talking about the church finding leaders who have the qualities that are listening, that are listed here, and listening to those leaders. But more than just a creed, putting the principles of that creed in. I don't know how to say it. Putting, putting feet to the gospel. Putting the principles of that creed in your life out there. If we don't, as the church, hold up the truth, nobody else is because the deceiver lives out there. And, and I don't know. I would love to give you some good magic application. I prayed and I thought and I did this. I'd love to, but I really do hope you're praying. I really do because this is a time that we need prayer. I really do hope that you are examining yourself and looking in the mirror to make sure that you are a child of God. I really do hope that you are starting to open this book more. That you are examining the scriptures and you are asking your Father and your Savior to help you understand these things so that you can grow and mature. And I hope that if you are doing these things, you are also asking yourself and asking your Father. Father, we need some, some leaders in our church. Maybe he's calling you to be one of them. And I'm telling you, I, I don't understand. It is so hard right now to find a way to serve. It is. I, I, I mean, I, I don't understand it. I, I know it's a virus. Yes, do I think it's a little overblown? But I know it's deadly. But I tell you what, we're, we're giving up way too easy. I'm sorry, maybe I, I'm, I'm praying about it, I'm asking God about it, but we're giving up way too easy. I hope y'all are ready, if it comes to it, to let me preach in shorts and a t-shirt under the oak tree outside. If we can't come in this building. Because so many out there that claim to be children of God, they're just giving up. We can't do it. It's a deadly virus. We'll do online only. What about people who don't have the internet? I love online. Last sermon I did online, I, I preached it from my deck. My wife recorded it. We put it on our church website. It was great. I was out there with the squirrels and there was probably deer walking around. It was great. But, but what about the people? Look, we are called to at times come together. And even though our fellowship is not the same right now, people, we need to be on our knees praying. We have to be the pillar of truth in a world that doesn't like truth. And I, I'm, I'm being led off by the deceiver sometimes. I almost get mad at what's going on. And that, that's not our reaction. Those people are lost. 
Those people who are saying those hateful things, those people who are saying you can't meet as a church, those people who are doing that, they don't know Christ. It's not their fault. And we got to figure out a way to hold the truth up to those people so they'll see we're not living in fear. We have to. We'll meet up at somebody's house under a tree and we'll stay 10 foot apart. Might sweat. Isn't it great that, that right now, because of these masks and every other pew, we're able to be in this air-conditioned building. Isn't that great? But we might not be that way. You know, they're, they're destroying right now the church in China. It was already underground. But it's about gone. Horrible, untold things. And this Ephesus right here is about 62 AD. A horrible persecution is about to break out in the church. And people who don't know Christ as their Savior, they're going to give up. You're not going to go to your death for something you really don't believe in. For something you just signed your name to a card in a church to. But they did. Some of them did. Well, the Muslims are wiping out Christians in Africa right now as we speak. The persecution seems to be getting heavier and heavier and heavier in the world. And Paul thought 62 AD was the end. And we're 2,020 years later. We're still in the end times. I'm not going to preach to you prophecy because I think we need to be more concerned about how to get those people who don't know Christ into our family of God rather than trying to figure out what the day is. Really? You want me to spend 30 hours this week studying Scripture to figure out what the day is? I couldn't even figure out how to tell you to serve God to reach those lost people. Y'all going to have to help me because I don't know. We can't have, we can't have BBS. We can't have a fellowship dinner. I don't know. But I do know this. We've got to take care of each other. I would hope that each and every one of y'all would, would pray about and think about maybe checking on at least one person this week. Maybe somebody here or maybe somebody you know is not here with a phone call or a text. Or Look, send them snail mail. Post office needs your help. They're about to go broke. Put a stamp on a card and write something to somebody. Okay? And I would hope that each and every one of you would think about maybe a lost person that you used to work with or you still work with or maybe a lost person in your family. I've got some in mind. Maybe you just check on them. You okay? Because a lot of people are not okay. And I don't know how you would be okay right now if you didn't have Christ inside you. I really don't. I know people around me who don't know Christ and they are scared to death. I don't want to be on a ventilator with some virus. But I know where I'm going. I'm going to try and be a good citizen and take some precautions. But I'm telling you what, I'm getting really upset when people are saying you can do anything you want to in the world, but you better not be as a church. People, we, we better be the best citizens we can be and be on our best behavior and be willing to do whatever we can do even if it's sitting out in the 100 degree heat and shorts to open this book and explain its word. And you better figure out ways, because I can't figure it out, and you better figure out ways to reach those lost people around you. Find out some way to hold up the real truth in the lost world. Find out a way to be different. Find out a way to, to show people that, that you're not your old self. You are new. You are a new creation. It's more than just memorizing a creed, people. It's a lifestyle. And pray for these leaders in your church, Lord. You, you need strong leaders who have the qualities of the people on this list. Lord, if you can't see right now, 
Now we're going through the same things that that church in Ephesus was. You're just not you're not you're not paying attention. You need to go home and read this chapter again. It's happening again. It's been happening. It's going to continue to happen. And again, I, I encourage you to please, if you if you've got a spiritual question, if you think I said something wrong, if you didn't understand something, I, I implore you to call me, to text me, to email me, to do something. We'll get together even if we have to set 20 feet apart. I'd, I'd love to sit and talk to you about spiritual stuff. I'll find time. But it's time to carry that light of Christ out into the world for another week and to pray that we'll be able to come together again. Spread that light to your lost friends and your family members. Let's sing a hymn. It's 733 and then we'll close in prayer. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com. Or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.